You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. We're just excited to be here. I, I can't tell you, and I, I, need to, I need to express how deep of an appreciation I have in my heart um, for the season that we're in. This is a rare privilege to be able to, to see this many people come to faith in Jesus, to be water baptized. I, I don't know if you were around Easter, the numbers of people that were baptized, and then two weeks from today, there are, there are more being baptized. And uh, you, you think that's going to happen all the time, you know? I mean, <clears throat> that's what you pray for, that's what you want, um, but it doesn't happen all the time. And that we're in a time that seems to be a rare harvest. And I want to continue to pray that way. I want you to continue to pray that way. And ask God's Holy Spirit how you can be part of that. If you haven't been baptized in water, then I encourage you to do so. Um, sign up. Be baptized. We are going to celebrate two weeks from today with excitement. And the other thing I know that's, uh, that's not lost on me is the rare opportunity and privilege to have so many young families in, in this congregation. Because typically... Churches grow old with a pastor. You know that, don't you? And, and we're able to, by God's grace, just stay young and reaching community. And I want to thank the prime timers that helped that happen. You are so inviting. Uh, you are, you're so caring. And I see that happen in this community, and I'm thankful for that. So young families know that we pray for you every single day. And for those that are being water baptized, we are so thankful. Thankful for your courage, your faith, your commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And with that, let's pray together. Father, we just ask today that you would do a good work, do a good work in all of us, and that you would continue to show us the depths of how you're working in people's lives. Lord, that you would that none should perish, but that all would have everlasting life. And let us be participants in bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you today for all that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, amen. <clears throat> well, I was 18 years old. I was on top of the world. My life dream of playing pro ball was coming true. I had passed all the firefighter exams. I was on my way to fight fires. I, I bought a brand new used pickup truck. I did. It was good until it wasn't. And it wasn't. I mean, things took a radical turn. There was this turn in my life that just turned everything upside down. I sustained a horrible knee injury, and in one moment, everything went up in smoke. No baseball, no firefighting, no truck. It all went away. It all evaporated. It was like I had the world by the tail, and then the world had me. And for several months, I had this thought, and maybe you've had the same thought before. If God loves me, then why? If God loves me, then why are all these things happening in my life? All these things that aren't going according to my plan. And there are probably a lot of us who are prone to think that way when life and your livelihood seems to be crumbling before your very eyes. When things don't go according to the way that you plan them. Well, in Acts chapter 12, and that's where we're going to be this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles there, you can do that. Acts chapter 12, there are a group of people who could have easily thought the same thing. With all that was going on in their life, they could have thought, if God loves me, then why? But they didn't. 
the early church were full of people who had this high resistance to discouragement. And we read that at every turn and every crook in the road. We recognize that in their journey, they stood tall. They stood courageous. I want you to listen to how chapter 12 begins. In verse 1, it goes like this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him into prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Now catch that. That's 16 soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for the public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, I can't help but think when I read this passage of Scripture that Herod already knew the stories about a resurrected Lord. And this wasn't going to happen on his watch. I mean, there was no one getting out of prison. There was no one that was going to resurrect from the dead, not while he was in charge. And certainly, Peter met those qualifications. He wanted to keep him in prison. Now, James, the one that's mentioned here, was a close disciple of Jesus. He's the three, one part of the third Peter, James, and John. He was one of the sons of thunder. He was John's brother. Mom and dad were Salome and Zebedee. And so this is the James that we're talking about. It was King Herod Agrippa who had James executed. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, if you remember that, Herod the Great was the one who attempted to kill Jesus when he was a baby. So when you look at the lineage of these Herods, just say that and think that you know that there's killing in their blood. The Herods wanted to see death. That's really, in a lot of ways, anyone who opposed them, they were going to go after. This is some kind of family. I mean, hanging out with them would be like hanging out with the Sopranos. You know, you just don't want to cross them. You just don't want to say anything bad about them. Why? Because you're going to end up six feet under. And now Herod is going after Peter, and he's doing it for one purpose. And you catch a hint of it in this passage. He's doing it to entertain the Jews. So this wasn't above him. He, he wanted to go ahead and, and, and commit execution. He wanted to persecute Christians because it entertained the Jews. And by all accounts, the possibility of Peter ever getting out of prison right here under these circumstances was almost nil. But look at verse 5. You, you see something there that, I mean, just stands out to me. It really does. The church is earnestly praying for Peter. Now, I want you to hold on to that for just a moment because that really is the pivot the pivotal point of this passage of Scripture. You can circle the word earnestly if you're not a, opposed to doing that. These were people who were being persecuted. They were being jailed. They were being put to death. And their first response was to pray, to earnestly pray. There may be some of us who might feel like Peter where we're in a, a prison, whether it's one we've made up or whether it's one we've been put into that we feel trapped in life. You might be going through something like that right now where you feel your circumstances have closed in on you, and you might feel like Peter does and, and how he felt. We wonder if prayer can change things in our lives. But you look at our circumstance, and they seem to be so impossible that we ask the question, maybe not out loud, but we ask the question, can prayer really do us any good now? I mean, the circumstances seem to be so far gone. The circumstances seem to be so impossible 
So a good question I think we can ask ourselves is, what is my first response when I feel trapped? What is my first reaction when I see someone I love trapped in their own circumstances? Well, I wish I could tell you that my first response is always to pray. But that wouldn't be true because there have been times when I've looked at my circumstances and thought to myself, I'll fix it. I'll work my way out of it. I'm smart enough to get through this. And what happens is you come to a virtual dead end. You realize that you're not smart enough. You can't change things. I'm pretty sure that most of us know what it feels like to be trapped by our circumstances. It's those times where we, we don't have an answer. It's those times when we have no thought of a solution. We have just come, we've come to, to a blank in our lives. We're just looking at this thinking, what do I do? What do I do next? Who do I turn to? Where do I go? That's called, in, in, in one term, it's called the crisis of limitation, if you've ever experienced that, where you've hit the ceiling of your own, your own will. You've hit the ceiling of your own ingenuity, and it's a, it's a crisis because you've faced your own limitations. It's not comfortable. Uh, it, it's an uncomfortable place to be. In fact, at times, it can be a, a painful place to be. Now, there are two qualities, and when we study the book of Acts, there are two qualities that continue to amaze me and at the same time convict me about the early church, two qualities that they highly valued. And unfortunately, these qualities are disappearing in today's modern church. It's something that we should pay attention to, something I think I need to look at, and and I need to to adopt even in a deeper way in my own life. And when I say disappearing, I mean these are qualities that are statistically disappearing in America. One is generosity, and the other is prayer. And by the way, those two are connected to each other because they're matters of the heart. It's astounding to me to see how prayer is connected to generosity, and generosity is connected to prayer. First is generosity. You know, you you can't read the book of Acts without noticing the church's extreme generosity. And I've said this before. People say, I want to go back and live like the early church did until it gets to that generosity part. You know, I mean, when when people were actually giving away their their belongings and they were benefiting the body of Christ, they were benefiting the church. Generosity was and is the primary delivery system of the gospel. Did you know that? It's the primary way that God brings the gospel to the world. I don't know if you've ever connected that. That when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ getting into the world, it's going to take a tremendous amount of generosity on God's, from God's people to have that done. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son. See, generosity is connected with the effectiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in our modern day church, the fact is, we give less the more affluent we've become. Isn't that astounding? I had a conversation with my grandson the other day. He's been part of this church since he's little. He knows about, of course, our journey. He's been here. And he asked me the question because he's seen generosity work in you. He's recognized and he hears the stories of generosity in your lives. And so he asked me a question. He's a thinker. This kid is almost 15 years old. He's kind of an old soul. He's the one that will ask you questions that constantly surprise you. And he asked this question. He said, are there more well-off people in your church than there are in other churches? (laughs) I thought, that's a good question. I said, you know, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure because I don't check the giving records. I, I don't do that. I chose not to do that when I first came here. But this is what I know. Those that are people of means and even those that aren't are generous with what they have. That's what I do know. And I know that when that happens, extraordinary things follow. I know when we are generous people, the gospel of Jesus Christ goes to places that it wouldn't have gone otherwise. Whether it's here in Jerusalem or Judea, Samaria, or to the uttermost parts of the earth. I had a great conversation with a gentleman I'm praying for and getting close to and developing a friendship with. And he, he doesn't know Jesus yet. He's a Christian in waiting. And, and, and I think he knows that now. Uh, but, but there's going to be a day he's going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I am sure of it. And so we're walking together. We're talking together. And he has heard about the generosity of this place. Do you know what generosity allows me to do? It allows me to talk freely about the gospel of Jesus Christ more freely than in most situations. Because I can say, yes, the, the, this is a community that wants to see Jesus change people's lives. So generosity is key. It's highly valued in the early church. I want that to continue to be our story. I want us to be at a place where we are generous people. And I can tell you there are a few reasons why I encourage that. One is it's always good for us to be generous. I mean, we can see it all through the Bible. We can see it in the characteristic of our Father, who's a very generous Father in heaven, that gives to us that we do not lack, and that He gives to us good gifts, the Bible says. So I, I want to be like my Father. I want to be a son created in His image, so I want to be generous. But there's another reason. The other reason is that generosity sustains the development and the maturation of new believers in Jesus. That I see that happening. And that when, when, when I'm generous, when I, when I give, whether it's my time or my resources, I recognize that I'm giving to see new believers come to, to, to fruition, come to a fruitfulness in their own lives. That they, in turn, start to make disciples who make disciples. So I'll say this. Please be generous. Be generous so that we can continue the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways that we see evident in the early church. We see it happen here. And generosity was one of those reasons. The second quality of the early church is prayer. But notice what it says here. It says earnest prayer. Now you heard me say we give less the more affluent we become. Now regarding prayer, the truth is we pray less the more self-reliant we become. Do you see the correlation? The more we trust in ourselves, the more we trust in, in our flesh, uh, the less we pray. And, and right now is a time that we need to be praying. <laughs> we need to be praying for our families. We need to pre be praying for our kids. We need to be praying for our community. We are facing spiritual crisis right now. I, I don't think I've ever seen the church at a turning point, at least in my lifetime, my ministry, as to where the church is today. There is a turning point taking place. The question is, is which way are we going to go? Are we going to follow the instincts of our flesh? Or are we going to follow the leading and guidance of God's Holy Spirit? That is the million-dollar question right now. I want to follow the guidance of God's Holy Spirit, but to do that, I need to be someone who prays and that I'll continue to pray. We've set a few dates aside so that we can pray. Our, our staff has decided these are good days, and I thought it'd be a good idea to show you those dates and, and, and that you would maybe put these dates on your calendar 
and that you would pray with us. And so we're going to take some time. We're going to fast and pray on September 20th and October 4th. September 20th and October 4th. We're going to take time. We're going to set those days aside to pray and fast. And, and specifically, we are going to pray and fast as we enter the series titled Identity. Did you know that there is a, a huge spiritual battle taking place over the identity of God's people right now? And especially our young people in community. There's a, there's a battle about who they are and who do they belong to. And, and, and they're identifying with a lot of other things that aren't necessarily biblical. They're certainly not identifying in a lot of ways with Jesus Christ. And we want to see that change. We want to see our young people grow up. And when they're asked who they are, they say, I'm a Jesus follower. And I always want to pursue to be like him more and more every single day. Can you say amen to that? Well, that's going to take a lot of prayer. That's going to take a lot of prayer. Because you're running up against some established spiritual walls. And you're going to be running up against, I'm going to say this, some demonic strongholds when we talk about identity. Because the devil doesn't want you, doesn't want our kids to know who we are in Jesus Christ. His game is over when you know that. And then when you live that way. Life changes when God's people and community live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me say this. Concerning generosity, give more than you, you're used to giving. <laughs> Concerning prayer, pray more than you're used to praying. That, that, that's really what, what the call is before us. So I'm not giving you some great, wonderful formula here. There's not a great theory that's going on here. Just whatever you do, do more, would you? And that, that's how God grows us. He, he does. He grows us a little bit at a time. And that's what I want to see, I know, in my own life. Now look at verses 6 through 11. It says this. The night before Herod was to bring, that's Peter, him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, and he woke him up. He said, quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, and the angel told, told Peter. And Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought... He was seeing a vision. He thought he was still dreaming. They passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron, the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. And then Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen to me. Everything that the Jewish people wanted to happen to Peter were, was all turned upside down because of God's intervention. So here's what happened. God miraculously sets Peter free from what seemed an impossible situation. It's the th same thing that God wants to do for you, and he still does the same things for us today. Whether that impossibility seems like it's in relationship, whether it, it seems like it's spiritual or emotional, whatever it might be, financial, whatever it might be, God can do the same thing for you. He can break you out of that prison. 
Be confident that there is no prison, spiritual or physical, that can hold those that God wants to get out. Can you say amen to that? And just say, yeah, that's me. I, I need God. I need God to set me free. The real question is, do you believe that God wants to set you free? I mean, do you believe that God wants you free? And the reason I ask that, because probably more times than I want to confess, I believe God can set you free more than I think he can set me free. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? When you have friendships, you have relationships, you can believe for others, like, like you can believe for others like to, to, to the end of the day, to the end of the night. You can believe for others through eternity. But when it comes to believing yourself and what, what God wants to do in you, believing for you, that's when, that's when faith gets challenged. And so here in this passage of Scripture, I'm going to encourage you to take ownership of this. That you'll say to yourself, you can do some self-talking, God, I know you want freedom for me, so... I'm holding on. I'm taking a hold of that freedom. I, I'm saying that freedom is mine. That freedom is mine. It's my freedom. A few years ago, I, to I coached uh, elementary football. And uh, I coached the, the running backs and the, the wide receivers and some of the defensive backs, if, if, if you know what all that is. But that's, that's, that's what I, I, I did. But one of the first principles I would teach the young kids is this that the football is theirs, that they own it, and it's no one else's, and you got to go get that football. And I'd have them hold a football, each one of them, and I'd have them hold it up, and I'd have them say, this is mine. It's mine. And wherever it's on the field, you go take it like it's yours. Freedom in Jesus Christ is yours. It's yours. But you say, Lord, I'm going to take that freedom, and I'm going to apply it to my life, and I believe what you can do for me. Just say that. It's mine. Go ahead and say that. It's mine. It's mine. You say it with a little less vigor than those kids on the football field, but I'm going to take it. As a, I'll, I'll accept that. But here we go on. We go on to verse 12 through 14. It says, when this had dawned on Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. So this is John Mark's mother where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda, I love Luke. Luke doesn't leave these people anonymous. Do you notice that Luke always attaches a name? Don't you just love that? That's not some girl here. Her name's Rhoda. I want you to know that. Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, so excited that she ran back without even opening the door. And she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. I love that. Peter's at the door. This is a good translation. It really is. But, but it doesn't give us the, the full impact when it, when it tells us that they were praying. And I want, I want you to understand fully what this really is, is meaning, what it's talking about. Remember the word earnestly in verse 5. This is actually a medical term. Surprise, surprise. A doctor is writing this gospel. So he's going to give us some medical terms. And one of those is right here where it says earnestly. They were earnestly praying. And it describes really the stretching out of muscles. That's what it says so if you're working out or if you're running and you're maybe not used to it. You know that you're sore, and especially the next day and the day after, you are sore. Why? Because your muscles were stretched. 
beyond what you usually have them stretch. That's what the word means. It means that their prayer muscles were really, really being stretched. They were praying for Peter, and they were praying some more, and they kept praying and praying. In fact, it's the same word used to describe Jesus when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Exact same word. Jesus was being stretched where he even said, Father, if it's your will, take the cup from me, but, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do your will. Your will be done in my life. I, I know probably most of us have experienced that sore muscle feeling because, because we've really been stretched. I mean, you think about that, and you, then you correlate it with prayer, and it, it's, it is a beautiful picture. About four or five weeks ago, my son called me, and he said, hey, Dad, uh, Sarah and I, his wife, we, we, we can't make it to a special event that Jackson is, is, is playing in. And Jackson's my grandson. And he's a ball player. He plays for club ball. And, and uh, they said, can you go with him? Can you, can you go with Jackson? I said, yeah, I can go with Jackson. I'd love to go with Jackson. Thanks for calling. I said, well, what am I going to? And he said, oh, yeah, uh, the parents are playing a game, baseball game, against uh, the kids. And I said, are you kidding me, man? And he goes, uh, no. And he laughed. He goes, I, I know you'll just do fine. And I said, thank you for being so generous with my muscles and my life and my pain. Uh, but he said, you, you'll do just fine. And I said, Ronnie, I haven't played baseball in 30 years. He goes, Dad, just go out and have fun. And that's what my wife kept. I mean, I kept going to her for some pep talks. Just go have fun. Go have fun. I said, I just, I don't want to die out there. That's all. I don't want to die. And so I got out there. And the place you usually go, and no offense to right fielders, but the, the, probably the least active place on the ball field is right field. So I didn't even let anybody have a chance. I ran out to right field. I said, nope, I'm standing out here because I know there's no action. First pitch, first hit, it came right at me. I mean, it was a line shot. Um, I caught it. So I was good. Yes, thank you, thank you. Uh, but I think I pulled something. And, uh, and I thought, no, Lord, this can't be my... This can't be my legacy, please. My leg, my legacy, help, help both of them. And uh, I stretched out and I ended up finishing the game. But I can tell you this, I was really sore. I, I, I hadn't been stretched like that. God's calling his church, I think, today, right now, to pray more than you've ever prayed before. Uh, pray until maybe your spiritual muscles hurt. And we have designated days, the 20th of September, October 4th. And listen, I encourage you to fill in the blanks on all of that. Write it in your calendar. When are you going to pray? When are you going to fast for what God wants to accomplish? There are times that we need to push. There are times we need to be pushed, even when it feels it's more than we can handle, until, until there's a breakthrough. And I want us to contend for those breakthroughs. And sometimes um, experiencing unexpected answers to our earnest prayers is such an encouragement, isn't it? Uh, where, where God just breaks through, because they weren't expecting this. This early church, when they were praying, they, they were not expecting this. I love the woman at the door. I love what Rhoda does here, who is so excited. She <laughs> leaves Peter. The answer to prayer, by the way, standing on the outside of the door. I mean, he, he, di he didn't come in. She didn't open the door. She, he's waiting outside. So she tells the others, the answer to prayer is standing outside of the door. Now, these are these are incredible people. When you read about it, listen to what it says. You're out of your mind. That's their response. They told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. 
Um, but, but Peter kept on knocking, and <laughs> when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison because he knew there were probably lurking in the dark some of those people, those uh, Roman soldiers seeking him. So he's saying, you guys, don't be quiet. Tell James and the other brothers. This is obviously not the James who was beheaded in the first part of the chapter. This is James, the brother, or we can say half-brother of Jesus, who was, was an incredible church leader in Jerusalem with Peter. But it says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. He said, and then he left for uh, another place. That's what he did. So how did the others respond? How did the early church respond? I'm so thankful this is in here because it reminds me of me. You know how they responded? <laughs> they responded by saying, no way, you're crazy, girl. There's no way that Peter's, Peter's at the door. There's just impossible. I think that we can and have responded that way when we hear that our prayers are answered, especially when it seems to be those impossible situations. They were not ready to accept the fact that, that God had answered their prayer, and, and we're prone, I think, to do the same things. When God answers your prayer, how do you respond? How do you go about soaking in what God is doing. I mean, I thought of a few of my responses over the years. One is, really? Are you kidding me? That's crazy, just like them. <laughs> That's probably be one of my responses. Or, I'm not sure that that was God. I, maybe it was a coincidence. Maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe it was just a coincidence. Or, you can respond by saying, well, that's not how I asked God for an answer. I was expecting something else instead of that. Maybe you've said that to God before, but those are probably common ways that we respond to those, those impossible situations where God breaks through. Do you see where it says here? Now, look, it says it must be an angel. Now, this gives you an indication of their mindset. It must be an angel because in Jewish thought, they believed everyone had a, a guardian angel that looked like them. And that could assume a human form. So basically, what they were saying was this. If we are seeing Peter's guardian angel, then the dude is dead. I mean, if we're seeing his angel, then he, he's absolutely dead. We're seeing Peter's ghost. That's what we're really seeing. And when you read this, you have to ask the million-dollar question, why does James die and Peter, Peter, Peter lives? I mean, you, 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 you face That's a hard one. You know, that, that, that's a hard one to answer. It really is. I mean, why did God allow one person to live and the other person to die? Well, the short answer for me is I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why God does what he does. God is a God of mystery. God is a God of grace and love. But here's what I do know, and I, I want to give you just a few things in closing here, a few things that you can hold on to about God's love and the power of prayer. Number one, God has a perfect perspective and we don't. You know, God sees the circumstance, he sees the situation, and his perspective is always spot on. Perspective is when you realize that what you're doing and what you have done will outlast your lifetime. That is a God perspective. And that's really what I, I, I want to pray for in my life. And I, I want to continue to live that way. Because there are decisions that, that I've made over the years that don't make sense to me right now. They don't make sense to me in this, this lifetime. 
But I understand that they might make sense to the next generation and the generation and the generation after. Just think about the decisions Abraham made that weren't always directly related to his well-being. Or the leaders of Israel that made decisions that weren't always related to them, their well-being. See, we're, we're used to seeing God answer prayers because it deals directly, we hope it does, with our own well-being. But there are things that God will ask you to do that may not make sense and may not even seem to be connected to your well-being. But you do those things because you're listening to a God who has a perfect perspective. That he sees your life and your times in a way that no one else can. When we pray, we are trusting in God who sees from the beginning to the end that God has an eternal perspective. I believe that when we get to heaven, God will show us those deep and amazing ways that his grace intervened. I, I do. I do. I believe that. I, I want all the DVDs. I want all of I don't know what, however they choose to show me all of that. However Jesus wants to show me that, I want to see it. I want to see the Lord's intervention because the Lord, I believe, is intervening in your life today in so many different ways. You have no clue of the way that he intervenes on your behalf. Why? Because we have a temporary, we have a, a finite perspective of what's going on in our lives. Hebrews 4.13 says this, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Remember that. When you pray, God sees your life from a higher perspective, a more perfect perspective, and he answers from a deep and abiding love. Always know God is motivated by love because he is love. That's, that's how he answers. Number two, God has the best plan. His plan is better than your plan. His, his plan is higher than your plan. Please trust that about God because whatever he does, the plan, his plan is greater. God uses our struggles. He uses our challenges in life because it's through those struggles that we experience his plan. It's through those struggles that we experience his best plan for us. And I've heard this said before and I've said it and there's circles that I run with that say today the worst day of your life could actually be the best day of your life. Just hold on to that. Because I, I think that can be true. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher, better than your ways, and my thoughts are higher. They're better than your thoughts. Amen. I'm thankful for that. And then the last thing here, God has a greater purpose. Remember, God has a purpose for your life. And that you would ask him daily, God, would you make that clear to me? How many know that our purpose in life usually can be more about, I mean, I'm thinking from my plane of thought and my plane of, of vision, that it can be more than, than just the things that I want. More about us. It can be more about me and not about living for Jesus. I mean, when I think about my greater purpose, it's, it's maybe, maybe that greater purpose is selfish. Maybe that greater purpose, and there's nothing wrong with what I'm about to mention, but maybe it's about getting a good ed education, a good job, making a good living, being a good Christian. I think all those things are great. I think they're wonderful. But did you know that your purpose in life goes much deeper 
than being a good Christian, just being a good Christian. Listen, this is where we have to break out of this mindset. Because your purpose goes deeper than that. It's about being a Holy Spirit-filled witness to Jesus like the early church. That I'm a martyr. That I'm laying my life down every single day. And certainly being a good Christian falls under that category. But the overarching drive and purpose in life is that I listen every single day to the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Doing the work that Jesus wants me to do. And while I'm doing it, being transformed into his image. That is your greater purpose. That's how we're going to go to heaven. That's what we're going to do there. We're going to occupy heaven. And, and Paul understood that. Remember where he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, when asked what his reward was, he says, my reward, my reward? He said, my reward and my crown. Is it not you? Is it not your salvation, your redemption, your sanctification when we get to heaven and we stand before our God, our creator, our maker, and you're there with me? That's my reward. That's my purpose. That my purpose every day in life is to be more like Jesus, but to tell people about Jesus Christ and his saving grace for them. Wherever we can get a chance, however we can get a chance. And you know this. You know this. It's not always your words. It's your action. It's the way that you live life. It's the way you express the infilling and the vitality of God's Holy Spirit working in you. See, they, the early church, kept the words of Jesus in front of them. When Jesus said, remember, we go back to the, to the thesis of, of the book of Acts. Do you remember where it's at? Acts 1.8. Remember, then it follows. Everything follows this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Where? Where will you be my witnesses? Wherever you go. Wherever you are. Wherever you go, you're a witness. What does it mean to be a witness with purpose? Well, let me say this. When you pray, remember this. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says wait. But all of the time, God says, trust me. Trust me. All of the time. That's his line to us. <laughs> is trust me. Remember when you feel trapped, when you don't feel like you have the freedom that God wants you to have because you feel like you're in a, a prison made by your own hands, maybe maybe by the hands of others. Just remember that God loves you. And remember this. He has a perfect perspective. He has a better plan. And he has a greater purpose for your life when you follow him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me just for a moment. I want to invite those that don't know Jesus today to know Jesus. I mean, really, for me, that's my life change. That's the, the place where things absolutely change for me is when I invited Jesus into my heart. Not because the church told me to, or my parents told me to, or the people around told me to, but because I knew I was convicted in my heart by God's Holy Spirit that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you're hearing this, whether you're online, in this building, in the patio, and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to know him today because his plan for you is greater his purposes are perfect and amazing and majestic. He wants the best for you today because he loves you. 
So if you want to know Jesus today and you haven't committed your life to him, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, just lift your hand and I want to pray for you. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but I am going to pray for you if you invite, want to invite Jesus in your heart today. Online, if you're at home listening to this, hit, hit the thumbs up button, you know. Um, there, good. Keep your hand up just for a moment. Thank you. Keep your hand up just for a moment. We're going to get you a, a, a starter kit. That's what you're getting handed right now. I always need a starter kit. And I thank the Lord for YouTube because I can go there finding things I need to find. This is your starter kit in a commitment to Jesus Christ. And for those that lifted their hands and for the rest of us, we're going to pray just a simple prayer. And I want all of us to do this together. For those that lifted your hand, the reason the rest of us are doing this is because you need to know that you do not live this Christian life alone, ever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And evidence of that is the church community, the people around you. They commit to you, to walk with you, to be with you. So pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I have heard your words this morning, and they pierce my heart. I understand that to be conviction. So today I confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner. I confess with my mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And today he becomes the Lord of my life. Jesus, come into my heart, into my life into my affairs. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Applaud the salvation of the Lord. Will you do that? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.